Hello? Hey. Hey, what's going on, man? Nothing much. What's going on with you? Ah, not too much. How's my volume? Your volume is fine. Okay. I noticed I was a little bit loud in the uh, the last tale, so just let me know if if I'm ever pegging you out over there. I'll I'll turn it down on my end. I'll turn the gain down. I just think you should just shut up in general. <laughs> oh wait, I said that. Oh, you and my wife both. Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, Scott Garner and Michael Bailey now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back to the bins. Hello and welcome to Back to the Bins. I am Scott Gardner. And I am Michael Bailey. And we are back. Sorry that we've uh, been away for so long. Actually, Michael hasn't been away very long at all because he was here for episode 61. And uh, last week I was kind of sort of there. I said like three words, I think, and just played music for the whole rest of the episode. To those of you that enjoyed it and gave me positive feedback, thank you very much. For those of you that are like, what the fuck? This is just music? I apologize. I, I thought it was kind of fun. I thought you'd get a kick out of it. And I thought it'd be something different. And to be perfectly honest, we were kind of jammed for an episode. We just kind of ran up against the wall time-wise, didn't have time to do a proper episode. And I thought, you know what? I'll just play some superhero music. That'll be a neat idea, you know, because we got such good response to that uh, that other thing that we did with the superhero themes. And you know what? I think I put in three times as much time editing and putting all that together as if I had just sat down for five minutes and read a comic and told you about it. So I don't know if I'll be doing that again anytime soon anyway, but <laughs> just wanted to throw that out there. So That's funny. Well, we're back to the to the to the old ways, and I have brought a DC book to the table this time. This is kind of um, well, to me, this is kind of a special book. I uh, my mom actually gave me this comic on my birthday or my supposed birthday in 1983. I, I don't know if many people are aware. Uh, who listen to this show, but my birthday is February 29th. So I'm a leap year baby, and that means that I don't get a birthday every year. Uh, also, just one of the many other reasons that I'm a freaking freak, I guess is the best way to put it. But uh, I remember that birthday because we had a cat that had kittens that, that night, and my mom, who worked third shift at the hospital, taking care of babies right after they were born was not there for the birth of the cat. So we all thought that was funny, but she, she walked in, she said, happy birthday. And she plopped down a copy of the new adventures of Superman. Number 40. This has a cover date of April, 1983, 
which means it probably came out in January and had just been sitting on the shelf for two months. Which, back in those days, was liable to happen, especially at grocery stores for some reason. I don't know if you had that same experience, Scott, where things would be on the the shelf for much longer than they, they were supposed to oh, be. Oh, yeah. We, we had a place that... Uh, now, I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. You, you you said New Adventures of Superman. Did you mean Superboy? No, no, Super... Oh, yeah, New Adventures of Superboy. Okay, Super yeah, you just kind of threw me for a loop there for a bit. But, yeah, there, there used to be a place we would go to in Watertown that would strip the books, completely strip the covers off them, and then resell them for, I think it was like 10 cents. And I got a bunch of that title there. So, yeah, okay. I, I have fond memories of this title as well. You realize you have illegal comics then, right? <laughs> I actually have discs and discs full of illegal comics. But no, I we'll mean, talk like, about that another time. <laughs> do you know why those are illegal? Uh, yeah, because they were uh, credited back to the folks, yeah. and then they just kept them for yeah. It's it's now, like with books. Now a dime isn't bad. I mean, I mean that that that's actually not. I mean, considering it was probably like sixty cents in the first place, a dime isn't all that bad. But Neil Adams in an interview was talking about how in the 70s uh, dealers would uh, – th- they went on an affidavit system mm-hmm. of, of crediting s- that the dealer, uh, the news dealer would sign, I threw away 50 copies of such and such and would keep it. So he's seeing nicer copies of his Superman covers now and more of them now than probably went into kids' hands back in the 70s. Because so. they held on to it and then sold it at a at a higher markup. So. Them sneaky bastages. Anyways, this, uh, this is the story of the, the title of this story. Not the story of this title. is Superboy No More. And it was written by Paul Kupperberg, who's written into the show before. And penciled by Kurt Schaffenberger. And inked by, I'm going to pronounce it Joe Giella, because that's what it looks like to me. Yeah, that, that's what I've heard before as well. Uh, and the story goes like this. I almost feel like, you know, you can turn the page when R2-D2 says this. <laughs> Let's begin now. Um, <laughs> so Superboy flies into space and finds a fleet of spacecraft and wonders if they are a friend or foe. One of the ships launches what Superboy thinks are missiles, and the Boy of Steel makes quick work of the supposed weapons. Superboy heads to the ship and is spoiling to beat some alien ass until one of the sad-looking aliens explains that they have come in peace and the missiles Superboy wrecked were actually probes. After checking the ship, Superboy sees that there is nothing on board that could be used as a weapon. The sad-looking alien introduces himself as Nil, commander of the peaceful exploration mission of the Vagart galaxy. And I have absolutely no idea how to pronounce that. It doesn't even have apostrophes in it, which pisses me off. Because uh, usually in D.C., if an alien civilization or name has an apostrophe in it, you can at least figure out how to pronounce it. He adds that it was worth the destruction of the probes to see Superboy in action. Superboy leaves, saying that he will be keeping an eye on them, to which Nil replies that he understands. Um, After Superboy is gone, Nil and another sad-faced alien discuss how everything they have seen leads them to believe that they don't possess anything that could possibly defeat him. Superboy heads home and startles his mother when he flies into the window. He tells his adoptive mother about the aliens, and she is not shocked or surprised at all because, well, she's raising one in her house. 
Later, Clark Kent and Pete Ross walk to the school and discuss the dance and who Clark wants to take as a date. It turns out that Kent wants to ask Debbie Wallach, but believes his chances suck on, on the fa- on the, based on the fact that she likes to date jocks. Pete pushes Clark into asking her anyways, and after he asks Debbie, she acts like the queen bitch of the universe, earning her the scorn of Lana. As Lana gives Debbie a hard time, Chloe Sullivan, I mean Lisa, her name is Lisa, but she's a blonde girl that has a crush on Chloe, uh, on, on Clark Kent, so I'm just going to call her Chloe Lisa for the rest of the issue. I hope you don't mind. Uh, but Lisa thinks about how she wishes Clark would ask her to the dance. Later discusses what a bitch Debbie is with his father when Chloe Lisa comes in on a supposed errand. She asks Clark to help her, but he hears that Superboy is needed, so he runs out, leaving Lisa to think that he is avoiding her. Turns out the trouble is a gang that is trying to rob an armored car on a bridge. They wanted to blow up the bridge, but miscalculated and only trapped the armored vehicle. Superboy talks a little smack until one of the gangsters throws another stick of dynamite at the truck. Superboy catches the dynamite and shields the explosion with his body, but the shockwave causes the truck to slide into the river. The Boy of Steel catches it, but gets balled out by the ungrateful guards, who suggest that if he wasn't grandstanding, he wouldn't have had to save them in the first place. Because I know that if somebody saved my life, my first thing is going to be like, you asshole! But uh, Superboy actually agrees with this and flies off after the robbers. They spook a horse, and the rider, Sam Miller, is thrown to the ground. Superboy makes up his mind to end this here and now and lands in front of the car and allows it to plow into him. The robbers fly out of the car because no one is wearing seatbelts, and after tying them up, Superboy checks on Sam, who has a broken leg. Superboy flies home thinking about how much this day sucked and overhears his mother spilling the beans about his secret identity to her bridge club. He manages to convince the women that his mother was joking, and as the women walk off mocking both Martha and her son, Clark asks his mother, What in the hell were you thinking? (laughs) She explains that she was just bragging about her son and goes to make dinner like nothing is wrong. Meanwhile, Nil is briefed about how badass Superboy is. One of Nil's men has an idea on how to make Superboy join their side quite against his will. Back in Smallville, Clark discusses his mother's crazy behavior with his father. Jonathan locks up the store and goes home to deal with Martha. And I'm sure there's like a backhanding sound <laughs> somewhere in here. Now don't get all mad at me because I know my way around this house. Shut up! You don't know where the shitter is. You're fucking worthless, and you're worthless. Time three. Piece of shit! You are never going to make it in this lifetime. Ever. All right, you see what you did? You see what you did? You just made him cry. You made him cry. You see this fuck? It's going in your throat. If you don't shut the hell up, I swear. This was like the, what, like the 50s anyways. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So this comes to my favorite part of this issue. And why this shouldn't be called Superboy No More, but the title of this story should be Clark Kent Has Had Enough of Your Shit. <laughs> so he's so Clark is walking around and he thinks about his trouble and he passes by a basketball court. And Brian Thomas, the son of one of the women in the bridge club, starts making fun of Clark and then starts talking smack about his mother. Clark Clark tells him to stop and Brad feigns weakness before grabbing Clark by the shirt collar and cocking back a fist. And at this point, Clark Kent 
has had enough, and he fucking decks Brian, knocking his jock ass on the ground. Clark turns on the rest of the group, basically saying, you want some of this? I'll fucking take all you on! <laughs> As the boys help Brian up, and then they flee. You think well, a guy that's in comics can't start some shit? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Clark runs off and pulls a Peter Parker by taking off his Superboy costume, but instead of putting it into a garbage can and walking away, he flings it into the sky, saying that from now on, Clark Kent is going to live for himself to be continued. Now, there is a Dial H for Hero backup story to this. Not going to fucking talk about it. <laughs> We've talked about our dislike. Who's the, who's the creative team Hero. on it, though? Just out of uh, Oh, no, the, 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 I think God, sorry, I closed. The no, door. no, that's cool. Um, Enos and Bridwell actions, Bob Rosakis words, and somebody named Bender pencils. Huh. So uh, I really don't know. One of the characters uh, who's a who's who's kind of like a coil hero uh, looks like Spider Man. Like really looks like Spider Man. Like has the Spider Man eyes and everything. So, uh, but I, I just I just don't care for the. Um, for for the dial H for hero. I mean, I, I understand the gestalt of it because basically kids would send in their ideas for a hero and they would, you know, bring it to life. Essentially one of the heroes, one of the characters would become, uh, would be, let's, let, let's see. Let's see. Now, nope. I've become the kinetic kid capable of absorbing. And there's a little asterisks and it says kinetic kid is the creation of Bar- Barney Torres of Brooklyn, New York. So I guess you know. Kids, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. I, you know, in hindsight, though, I wish that I could either go back in time to that era when they were doing a book like that, or that I was a savvy enough kid to, because I don't remember being aware of Dial H when it was actually around. But I would love to have sent in like like testicle boy or some shit like it just to fuck with them keep sending in like all these freaky perverted heroes just to see what kind of response you'd eventually get like uh hey kid stop stop sending this shit to us you know <laughs> now uh aside from not liking the dial h from hero backup story i really like this issue and not because it was one of the first superboy comics i ever read but because it's really kind of a cool story and it's gonna throw it throws you off a little bit because it's drawn by kurt schaffenberger and i'm not saying anything bad about kurt schaffenberger because i like i love his supergirl work and i love his lois lane work and i really love him on shazam Mm -hmm. i think he's one of the best captain marvel artists of the 70s and 80s, right up there with Don Newton, I would say. Two drastically different styles, but both very iconic takes on the character. So on the surface, the story looks kind of simple because it has a 60s feel to it, which makes kind of sense because I guess the story is supposed to take place in the 60s. But Kupperberg actually writes a really cool story about Clark Kent just having enough of it. You know, and it's very Peter Parker. I'm going to admit that. But that's not a bad thing. It really isn't. Because one of the great things about the new adventures of Superboy was it showed you a Clark Kent that was not Superman yet. He was Superboy. and He was a hero. But he didn't have everything figured out. So to see him, like, in this position where he's like, I'm, I'm sick of getting t- uh, picked on. I'm going to knock this guy on his ass. I was like, hell yeah. 
I love that shit. It's like that episode of Smallville from the second season when those guys come in and start hassling Lana and he goes in the alley and fucking takes them all down. I mean, it's just like, okay, yeah, Clark Kent, yeah, he's not taking any more shit. And I kind of dig that. Did he smash but, a pickup truck in that episode? Uh, no, he th- no, he threw a guy into a police car, though. Okay, because I remember one where he, he, he did something similar to that. He kind of lost his temper, and he ends up smashing a pickup truck or something like that. Back when the show was actually kind of interesting. Um, the only, and I'm not even going to say negative, the, the only thing I can really make fun of in this story is that the cover shows a, a, like, you know, the sign at the edge of Smallville that says, you know, Welcome to Smallville, home of Superboy. So they have that, and they got the New Adventures of Superboy logo up on it, but it has Home of Superboy crossed out with red paint and a guy from Smallville Signs Incorporated putting up a thing, uh, uh, like a piece of paper that says, Watch This Space. But But in the foreground is Clark Kent crying and picking up his shirt to reveal the Superboy costume underneath. And if I had enough Photoshop skills... I would black out everything but that and put, like, a porn photo crew behind him (laughs) and say, take it off, kid. You're going to be a star. But uh, You have to start out gay porn before you get to the good stuff, kid. It's like that Family Guy bit where they had Walt Disney drawing Minnie Mouse, and she grabs the strap of her dress and goes, do I have to? You want to be a star, don't you? Oh. Drops the dress and he starts going, yeah, yeah, and he's drawing really furiously. <laughs> that is messed up. Funny as hell, though. Um, but I've never, I, I haven't read the second part of this yet, so I don't know why Martha's acting like a crazy bitch. But everything about this issue is really good. I like the story. It's dynamic. It shows Clark Kent. You know, basically being a teenager and having enough of people picking on him and people picking... I mean, the fact of the matter is is that that guy could have probably picked on him all day long. But once he started in on his mom and calling her crazy, I think that's when young Clark Kent's like, Nope, no, no, not going to (laughs) happen. You're not going to make fun of my mother. No, no, no. Why not? But, uh... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that's cool. I was just going to say, I know I've read a couple of... Superboy's stories over the years that where one or the other or both of his parents expressed a real desire or, or just expressed, you know, how much would it suck that your kid is literally the coolest fucking kid in the world, yet yeah. you can't tell anybody? That, would, that right there would suck enough. But then on top of all that, he's the coolest kid in the world. You can't tell anybody... And then the public face that he puts out to everybody is just a complete pussy. <laughs> you know, how much yeah. would that suck? You know, so it probably did really great on them after a while to to have to put up with this facade and charade all their lives, you know, and, and never be able to take any any pride or any, you know, anything in their son. He was just. He wasn't even an average kid. He was like a below average kid. He did, yeah. you know. Well, he, he was smart. You know, he did well in school, but he was he was the guy everyone picked on, right? And he and he had to live that existence to hide who he really was. 
the more the most interesting aspect of this story outside of Clark knocking somebody on his ass is this Lisa character liking Clark. And I like the fact that she's kind of blonde. And I know that one has nothing to do with the other, but she's kind of like the Cat Grant mm-hmm. of uh especially with the blonde hair or Chloe Sullivan of Smallville, you know, somebody that likes Clark for who he is, but just thinks that, you know, and Clark's just like, who are you? You know, doesn't even, she's not even in his, uh, you know, in any of his dreams of who he's going to be with, because, you know, on one end you got this Debbie Wallach, who's a complete bitch. And on this, on the other end, you have Lana who's crazy. Yep. You're, you're forgetting somebody else that I always thought was very interesting that liked Clark for Clark, and that uh, was Pete that Ross. girl that would uh, would eventually pl- pose in a Playboy there on uh, on the Superboy live action show. Oh yeah, the one that uh, eventually ended up on Growing Pains and got kicked off yeah. because she did Playboy. Yep, yeah. she was cute. Mm-hmm. That was a lousy episode, but the scene where she basically gives Clark the green light. Yep. You know, and and he tells her no. It's just like, oh, God. <laughs> Probably because he's never done it before. And he's afraid he's going to, like, gut her from crotch to sternum. It's, what's, he, <laughs> what's he worried about? It's not like he's got to find some place on the, on the inter, you know, off the interstate where he can dump the body. He's fucking Superboy. Just throw the body <laughs> into the sun. You're done with the evidence, you know? Who's ever going to find it? Ah. Uh... But uh, I really got to read more of this era. I've read like the first 20 or so issues of this series, but I've never gotten to the back half where apparently things got really, really interesting. So my hat's off to Paul Kupperberg for turning in a really good Superboy story. I really enjoyed it. And I'm done. (laughs) Awesome. I'm a big uh, I'm a big Superboy fan from way back. My my thoughts on that that series as a whole though were kind of hit and miss because I used to have I don't know if it was a complete run, but it was a it was a long complete run. I just don't know if it was the whole series, and I really liked it, and I wish I'd kept it, but unfortunately I I ended up selling it off. But I it was one of those things where. I don't, it was probably just because I had gotten older and maybe outgrown that style of comics, but it did, it just never had the same sense to me as as the older Superboy stuff that I liked so much when I was a kid. But I did like it. There were some really good ones in there, and I always liked oh, very uh, much so. Uh, what's his name? Um, Schaffenberger's yeah. art. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it, it. It even even at the time it was kind of retro, but it really worked for that series. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially that cover where he knocks that hippie's head off. That was awesome. <laughs> Talked about on, that on Tales last week. So so what do you got? Oh, I got a good one here. I got a really good one. All right, we are it going... It always makes me nervous when you say that. <laughs> no, I mean it this time. <laughs> We're going back to 1973 for this one. This is the uh, August 73 issue, number 214 of... The Mighty Thor. Oh yeah. Which always makes me think, if he's Mighty Thor, then he ought to be a doctor. <laughs> yeah, whatever. All right, so... I just died inside. I'm Thank sorry. You. I'm sorry. So anyway, what do you want for nothing? Um, scripter Better on this jokes. one... Is, <laughs> scripter on this one is Jerry Conway. Art by Sal Buscema. Inker, Jim Mooney. 
and edited by, by Roy Thomas. Now, this one's got a really cool cover on it, uh, the credits of which I totally forgot to look up. I think it might be Rich Buckler. Damn, I should have looked that up. But anyway, it shows uh, Thor, and he's locked in Mortal Kombat with the 4D Man. And the 4D Man's going... Not all the guards of Asgard may stand against the 4D man, not even the God of Thunder. And you see all these, uh, all the other gods are all knocked out and laying at their feet. And Thor's going, then if I, if Paris or I must, uh, let it be alongside the bodies of my comrades and let it be after battle, which doth shake the very cosmos. And I'm going, damn, that's a lot of cover exposition. And then today they don't have, I mean, do they, have they come back with words being on covers? I, I have, I don't see that. Not- not really, but I remember back around, God, it had to be almost 13 years ago, almost. There was an issue of Adventures of Superman when he was in the Electro Blue look that had uh, text on the cover. And Chuck Sheffy, who was managing Titans at the time, said, man, I, w- I miss this. Mm-hmm. And I kind of do, too. They're, 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 it, my favorite, although always, is it, you know having the hero look shocked and you know, afraid and goes, it can't be not you. you. (laughs) Now the one you're talking about, was that the split cover where it was Superman red and Superman blue and they were each looking at like a different disaster or something like that? It was one where he was like hoisting somebody over his head. If I'm remembering it correctly, it was before that. Okay. I don't remember. All right. So anyway, this is entitled into the dark nebula and we start off with this awesome page showing the cosmos and whipping through the cosmos is this flying Viking ship. And it is loaded with just all these people. We've got uh, Heimdall. We've got Odin. We've got Thor. And he's uh, he's at the wheel. He's steering the ship. We've got Fandral. We've got Hogan. For some reason, Volstag is not part of the team in this one. I don't know why. Um, we've got Hildegard. We've got one of the, um, the uh, what do you call these guys? The colonizers of Rigel is with them. And then we got this dude. I'm serious. He looks just like Poop Deck Pappy from Popeye. This dude is never even identified in the story. <laughs> I'm almost imagining like like the, the, the Norse gods, they just like took this ship and didn't even realize this old bastard was on board. And now this dude's whipping through space and he's too afraid to actually speak up and say like, um, excuse me. <laughs> you know? I laughed. <laughs> I laughed a whole lot. <laughs> so they are on their way to the Dark Nebulae because they are looking for Sif. And Carnilla. Turns out there was some sort of battle with the gods where Thor and uh, Loki were going at it again. Sif went to Carnilla to try to get her assistance in the battle. She assisted. She helped Thor beat Loki. And sometime after that, uh, what's his name? Balder turned up and told him, hey, something's happened to the gods. So Thor has gathered these folks together and he... Something. All of this stuff went on prior to this issue, and, and it's the recap is kind of hit and miss. I, I It didn't totally bring me up to speed on everything I needed to know. But basically it turned out that the gods had gone missing for a while, and Thor had been looking for them. When he finally found them, they had been actually captured by slavers. And he went and he rescued them, which got me to thinking, wow, you know, this is Odin. You know what I mean? So, yeah. It's like... You know, supposed to be, I mean, he's 
like king of the gods type of thing. I mean, he's like one step below like god god, right? And he and his people get captured by slavers. So how tough are these friggin' slaver guys, right? So Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> So anyway, they're they're making their way into this dark nebula thing because uh, basically Thor's looking for his girlfriend. And as they're going along, they're picked up on the radar by these dudes that are stationed at this asteroid outpost. And so the boss man, he uh, tells his guys, all right, here's more of these raiders coming in to, uh, you know, put the hurting on us again. Go out there and take them out. So Thor and his people, they see these raiders coming in. And we get the, a really epic, classic Buscema style, you know, Sal Buscema style uh, fight scene. You know, a lot of explosions. I got a lot of guys with, you know, their mouths wide open. And like that that one line of spit that he would always do in people's mouths. I love stuff like that. So do I. Uh, I like his art in general. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. And uh, we get a really good panel of Thor taking a personal hand in the battle where he goes out and he uses his hammer to actually smash right through one of the raider ships and all that. So the battle is very brief and very short. They take him out. They bring the raiders back to their Viking ship. And Thor is basically like, all right, what the hell? Why'd you attack us? And these guys are like, oh, wait, you aren't raiders. And so Thor's like raiders. So they, they compare notes and they figure out that it's a case of mistaken identity. So they make friends. These guys bring him back to their boss and their boss is like, hey, wait, you're Odin, which I thought was actually pretty cool. It's like, how the hell do these guys even know who Odin is? But they do. They know him by reputation, I guess. So the, the guy brings him up to speed that they're all that's left of, of a crew that was once 60 guys. And they're they're basically asteroid miners and they're working at this place. And they're constantly set upon by these raiders. And so they, they're asking for the assistance of Odin and his party to, to help them out. And Thor's like, well, that's not really what we're here for. And he tells them what they're looking for. And the guys are like, look, if you help us out, we can talk to some of our buddies at other stations. We'll see what we know. You know, maybe we can help you out. So it's a mutual benefit type of thing. Well... As they're working this deal out, suddenly there's an explosion outside. You turn the page and there's this gorgeous full-page splash showing the fourth-dimensional man and his minions are attacking. And this guy, oh, he is simultaneously really, really cool-looking and really, really goofy-looking. But I like his outfit. I, I would love to, like try to make up an outfit like this for like dragon con or something. This guy's just got such a cool look. He'd be a good obscure character to try to dress up as just to see if anybody knows who the hell you are. But anyway, he's come there and uh, Thor's really shocked to see this guy because he thought that he killed him just a few issues back. And it turns out this guy, one side of his body fires out heat and the other side fires out ice and Thor had found a way to get the two sides to cancel each other out. And he thought that he blew up real good a couple issues back. And they get into a big tussle. And Thor and the 4D man are fighting while all of Thor's other folks, you know, Odin and, and everybody else, are fighting the 4D man's men. And so while they're all doing that, Thor asks this guy, you know, how the hell did you survive? And he relates this long story about, you know, he basically he didn't explode. He imploded and he was being pulled into this. He calls it a mystic whirlpool. It basically looks like a black hole or something. 
And as he was pulled in, he gets sucked into this weird trans-dimensional crystal thing and gains some sort of knowledge or something. And now he's figured out that the power source he needs to save his people or save his planet or whatever the hell. He, he basically he gave up the idea. Whatever When he and Thor fought before, he came to Earth seeking something to save his people. And that's what he and Thor were tussling about before. Well, now he's given up that idea. Now he's come to this asteroid because now he thinks that this crystal thing is there. So as they're fighting... The, the last, those three minor guys, for some weird reason, they throw themselves into the center of the asteroid. They, they basically give up their lives to preserve some secret that's there. And at the very end of the story, we suddenly see the giant red crystal that 4D Man had been talking about comes rising up out of the ground. And it issues a warning to basically, you know, stay back, don't touch me. And Thor sees entombed inside this giant piece of crystal are both his girlfriend Sif and Carnilla, the very girls that he was looking for. And the thing says that tomorrow all humankind shall fall. And (laughs) holy shit, (laughs) there's a lot that went on in this story. It was That's pretty epic. Yeah, it was really it was epic. It was really cool. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. But man, was I lost. I didn't know what the hell was going on in this story. But you know what? I kind of dig that. When it comes to old comics like this, I kind of like just being thrown into the middle of it. it. It's it's fun and it's exciting, especially when it's this epic. Because this is a huge story. You know, they're going to a whole nother section of space they've never been to before. Although this dude knows who Odin is, so I don't know how that works. You know, they're going up against threats that are just as big as they are. You know, where there's a real possibility that, you know, gods, actual gods like Thor and Odin could actually be killed. And things like, so I really got a kick out of it. It was a lot of fun. And uh, I really liked... Let me see here. I made a quick note on what page it was. Page 17. Yeah, there was some really nice... Um, where was it here? Oh, the, there's this one dude that uh, Hogan is facing off on. And the guy says, uh, such as this mace-wielding buffoon before us. And Hogan goes, buffoon, thou shall regret that informality, wretch. He says, for no one may call Hogan fool. And Fandral says... Hast thou such a fear of the truth, friend Hogan? Or dost thou only wish it partly concealed, known to thy friends only? And they have this kind of exchange throughout the whole book that, that adds... Wait, wait, wait. wait. The, guy's, the guy's name is Hogan? Yeah. It's, it's actually... So, you see, you see, any time someone's named Hogan, I suddenly hear, like, the dialogue should have been, Well, what are you going to do, brother, when Hulkamania comes all over you? <laughs> <laughs> But that's just me. <laughs> uh, but it, it was it was really fun. I would like to read this storyline actually from from beginning to end to try to put it into to better perspective because I really didn't know what was going on. Um, there is a letter in here by Ralph Macchio, who I'm assuming that you know he was still just a just a fan, you know, just probably a kid reading it at this point. 
That's so, awesome. I'm glad. I'm glad that the Karate Kid <laughs> got a uh, got a chance to. Oh, oh, that Ralph Macchio. I'm sorry. Based on that opening splash of that Viking ship whipping through space and all those gods on board, though, there is one thing that really could have made this issue a hell of a lot better is if at some point in the story they got attacked by the Dingling family over Hostess Fruit Pies. I would have loved that see, shit. See, I, th- I thought you were going to talk about that, but uh, <laughs> I, I was sitting here waiting with bated breath, hoping that the Dinglings would show up. But no, it came up. And I think it's in our next Comics Monthly Monday on Two True Freaks. And Chris and I, I, can't, I told him all about it, that you and I had been waiting and waiting and waiting for that to come up on Tales. And so we ended up acting it out. And I, I even said Aww. to him at the time, oh, see, uh, I was hoping you wouldn't have that reaction. Because I told him, I said, Michael's either going to love this or he's going to hate it because... We've been waiting for it to come up over there. I'm not like angry or anything. It's just you know, oh. Well, then we have to we have to do it. Then we have to find it. It'll be fine. It. No, it's 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 it. No, in all honesty, it's all good. If if you guys came to it before we did, that's fine. <laughs> it's still in the family. We still need to do it though, because we've been wanting to do that one forever. And I, I think I think you would get the 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 overall joke to it better, if you know what I mean. <laughs> anyway. The ads in this, there were some interesting ones. They were mostly the the classic comic book ads, you know, the build a better bodies type of stuff and all. But uh, the one that jumped out to me that I really thought was awesome in here. Let's see, where the hell is it? Ah, yeah, here it is. Full page ad on this. It's a house ad, but it's awesome. On sale now. He lives. He walks. And bullets cannot stop him. He waited 3,000 years to wreck the revenge, or reek, I guess it is, the revenge of the monster. One of the greatest fear fests of all time, another Marvel masterwork, super, supernatural thrillers featuring the living mummy. And I'm telling you, dude, that's some good, good shit. I don't know if that's ever been reprinted anywhere or anything. I have to look that up sometime and see. But uh, I found just about all that stuff out of 50 cent bins. And if you guys see it out there on the cheap, Pick it up. Damn, it's good comics. It's some good stuff. You'll you'll like it, I swear. But that's it. That's all I got for this time. Yeah, it's pretty much me, too. You want to cover a couple emails? I was just going to ask you if you wanted to do that. We can do that real quick. All right. Our first email today is from Stan Johnston, longtime listener, longtime emailer. It says, Hulk's... Sm- oh, cookies. Uh, <laughs> says, hi, guys. I couldn't agree more with your episode 52 comments on comic book scans. I can understand why the publishers might not be crazy about having their new issues show up in torrents the same day they hit the stands, but have trouble seeing why it bothers them so much that back issues are scanned. They don't make money off those anyways, and collectors will want a physical copy of the comic. I still need seven issues to complete my run of Power Man and Iron Fist, and I've read those stories via downloads, but I'm still going to buy the comics. I'm going to stop there for a second. I guess to the publishers, they're going to make the money off of the trades. Yeah, I was thinking that too. So, but yeah, for years, you know, publishers didn't make dick off of... uh, off of what the uh, back issues sold for. So, you know, 
Yeah, I see what Stan's saying now. Uh, to continue, and in my opinion, even after having the new issues torrented, doesn't cost them anything of significance because you can't equate X number of downloads to lost sales. Just because 12,000 people download Captain Schmeckle number 749, you can't say that without those torrent, those people would have purchased the comic. With, with what a new comic costs today, I think people read comics via torrent uh, that they would not read otherwise because they aren't willing to pay the high cover price. In the late 80s, early 90s, I was spending upwards of $150 a month on comics. If I bought the same number of titles today, that would cost, that would be, that cost, excuse me, would be closer to $500 a month. Who can justify that when you have a mortgage, a car payment, utilities, and all the others expensive that go along with life? These days, I buy only a handful of comics each month, and those are out of loyalty to the characters or because who the writer or artist is. Can I jump in when there I for would... a second? Yeah, go ahead. One thing I wish that the uh, the comic companies would consider as well is how torrenting, or whatever the hell you want to call it, scanned comics, even brand spanking new ones, affects collectors or readers is the term I prefer to use because I consider myself a reader, how it affects readers long-term. I'll give you a perfect real-world scenario. Right now, as we speak, I'm fucking broke, and I'm probably not going to be able to purchase comics for the next little while. New comics, I mean. So I'm going to have to take a hiatus from certain titles. However, if it's titles I care enough about, I'm probably going to continue to read them in the CBR format for a little while. But since I can keep up on the story and I know what's going on, as soon as the money starts coming back in, I'll start picking the title up again. That shit didn't happen in the old days. When you didn't have access to stories, now I don't know about other readers, but me, if I lost the, 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 the trail of what was going on with a story... I just gave up. I just was like, man, fuck it. I don't know what's going on. I'll, I'll find something else to read that I can jump in on the ground floor of and follow that. So I think they need to think about that, too. And I don't think that they need to consider it a sin to spot readers a few issues now and again. You know what I mean? If it helps them stay in it, you know, because, you know. Yeah. No, I, no, I see what I see exactly what you're saying. You know, there are certain new books you know, I you know I'm pretty much buying nothing right now as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hoping to be able to ke- to pick up the books that have been held for me because I don't want to be a I don't want to be that kind of customer. Right. If you understand what I'm saying? Right. No, I've been there. But, I know what you mean? But you know, even with the availability of the Superman books through downloads, I'm not going to read it anyways because it's a personal decision not to read them. But if I was still reading them and I wasn't picking up my books, I would download it just to keep up with it so I could read it now, but I'd still be buying those comics anyways. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I'm buying it, I'm downloading it. <laughs> you know, I I sounded like the uh, Red Skull in that Avengers game that you have in your house. Um, I think it's the Red Skull that's at the beginning of that that laughs, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You cannot beat me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'd totally be doing that just so I could keep up with the story. And then when I have the money, I'd go buy the issues. And I have the physical issue, and I destroy the one, or I delete the one on my hard drive. Mm-hmm. So I see, I see exactly what you're saying on that. Um, 
Are we ready to continue? Sure. When I was a teenager, Stan continues, my friends and I would head to the record store almost every weekend to, buy, to each buy a new cassette, then spend the rest of the afternoon dubbing copies for each other. If we liked it well enough, we would end up buying our own copy. That's how I look at comic scans. If we had PCs and scanners back in the days, we would have made cop- copies of our comics and shared them too. The publishers should worry more about doing right by their aging trailblazers and less about how many hypothetical dollars the scan scene costs them. As I write this, Gene Colan has been hospitalized for nearly a month. This was on April 28th, just to tell you all, with a broken shoulder. Feel free to omit this from the podcast if you use my email. But if anyone is interested in lending financial assistance, there is a nice assortment of items being auctioned at www.genecolon.blogspot.com. Stan. Excellent point, Stan. I complete, completely agree with you wholeheartedly. All right, next one up is entitled... Oh, just to... Oh, yeah. I hate to, I hate to interrupt. Um, those uh, that... That auction is still going on at that website. Oh, excellent. So you can buy original art from Captain America number 601, it looks like. Wow, it's really awesome, I too. Know. I wish I could. I would love to get a Gene Colon commission. Uh, I, hope he, I hope he sticks around long enough for Scott to get, <laughs> you know, on a, on a money-making basis again so I could actually afford that, uh, that expense. But I would love that. I would love to commission a Phantom Zone-based... Uh, you know, the Phantom Zone miniseries-based commission. That would be great. All right, next one is entitled Super Chop versus Falcon Punch. <laughs> this one's from Jason Trenner. He says, hey, guys, your friendly neighborhood comic book and Transformers fanboy here. All I can say on the DC Presents story is, couldn't they at least have had Superman use the phone for a moment and have the Flash show up with the containment device? <laughs> Of course, actually, The Flash is a better choice for use in this story than Wonder Woman, frankly. Good luck reading, uh, excuse me, good luck reading the mind of the fastest man alive, Ice Alien. And good luck using ice powers against a guy who fights Captain Cold every weekend. As for Daredevil, yeah, I'm not a fan, to be honest. But, oh, he's okay and all, but not a character I ever connected with. The Punisher, however, like a bit more. I really dug the faux MLF story he had and what the hell mlf story i don't know what that is mlf story he had and the chuck dixon marvel knight series oh and the second punisher war journal series was cool i completely agree that was very good especially the art in that i, I was that Ol- olivetti i think i can't remember. yes yeah 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 uh I- yeah. I forget his first name, but yeah, it's Olivetti. Yeah, awesome stuff. Uh, and he says, yeah, I pretty much enjoy Frank Castle's set in the Marvel Universe and at times interacting with other heroes and villains and trying to kill them. <laughs> and it seems Daredevil forgot to add, well, okay, you can take the law into your own hands if you wear a costume. <laughs> Though without superpowers or the proper training, you'll wind up with your ass kicked. <laughs> Speaking of the... That MLF thing is still throwing. I keep looking back to that part of this going, I should know what that means. And I just have, I have no idea. Anyway, speaking of the Dixon Marvel Knight series, one thing that amused me about, uh, about it was how much Frank Castle pissed Daredevil off. Still, at least it wasn't as bad as when Spider-Man quote unquote teamed up with Punisher to fight the Russian by team up. 
I mean, he was used as a knockout meat shield by Frank. There's a reason for that. You know, I've known so many people that have bitched and complained about that over the... And, I, and not that you're bitching and complaining. I'm just saying that that seems to bother a lot of say, people. I was about to say, tread lightly. Yeah, no, no, no. Because <laughs> no, my opinion is very specific. I know that you're one of them. And it, I, there was a reason he did that, which was he was forced by Marvel to keep throwing in these superheroes. And he kept trying to tell them. That's not the story I'm telling. That's that's not the setting of this story. And this look, this is a you know, it's a knight's book. It's set in this world. You got to put this stuff into it. And so he did it, but he did it his way. And that's why when Spider-Man shows up, it is the way it is. It's why when Wolverine shows up, Castle literally blows his balls off, and the Hulk shows up, and he makes him what was it? He like shit plastic explosive or something like it was great though whatever he he kept feeding banner this chili that had plastique in it and then at the end when he becomes the hulk he sets it off i'm trying to remember what happens but it like really fucks up the hulk it was it was cool though it was it was clever it was a way for him to meet his mandate but do it his way and i like that i respect that very much i thought it was i thought it was cool anyway uh, he finishes up by saying, and lastly, you guys know that Wolverine is the only guy to guest star in Avengers West Coast to get uh, to not get at least reserve membership. I mean, the thing was there for five minutes and Darkhawk helped out just once and they got membership. That's a good point. Uh, it is. I'd love to no, see. I, I can agree with that. I actually read that stuff because that was when I was collecting uh, every uh, Spider Woman appearance of that redheaded Spider Woman, and that's when yeah. uh, when Wolverine showed up. But yeah, that it's a good point. I had never thought of that. So I'd love to see you guys review the two issue story where Wolverine helped out the uh, Avengers West Coast. Keep hitting the back issue bins or torrents, Jason Trenner. I would have no problem covering that sometime. As a matter of fact, I'll throw that idea out to my friend uh, Will Sanchez that does the Avengers Assemble podcast. He hasn't had an episode now in about three years, so uh, I'll see if he's interested in covering Damn, man. <laughs> it hasn't been that long. It's been forever. I love that show. He needs to put out a new episode. So if I tease him about it, maybe he'll actually do it. But I, I tease because I care. Yeah, uh-huh what all the bullies say <laughs> i'm doing this because i love you maybe i'm revealing too much of my childhood anyways well, i thought um, that was parents when they're beating you but anyway <laughs> this is gonna this hurt you a hell of a lot more than it's gonna hurt me thank you so much for listening to our show and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old fashioned comic book back issue awesomeness you can contact back to the bins to leave feedback comments questions suggestions and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the two true freaks section of the comicforums.com Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.lipson.com and is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. 
Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com slash league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcasts.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Did you know you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows? That's right. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy. And there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. December 7th. Earth 2. 1941. A world very much like our own, yet slightly different. A date which will live in infamy. A world at war. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Following the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt brought together the largest group of mystery men ever assembled to battle the Axis powers. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents The All- Star Squadron. The Tales of the Justice Society of America, every Friday at twotruefreaks.libson.com. While attending a demonstration in radiology, student Peter Parker was bitten by a spider, which had accidentally been exposed to radioactive rays. Through a miracle of science, Peter soon found that he had gained the arachnid's powers, and had, in effect, become a human spider. Stan Lee presents... Spider-Man! 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 Spider
Spider-Man does whatever a spider can. Spins a web any size, catches thieves just like flies. Look out, here comes the Spider-Man. Welcome to Amazing Spider-Man Classics, where every month I and some friends will be discussing every book, every guest appearance, and every cameo we can find of our favorite web slinger, the Amazing Spider-Man. Are you tired of arguing over whether Ben Riley should have taken over the webs? Do you grow weary of the brand new day with all of its controversy? Then return with us to the early days. Return with us to the classics. Amazing Spider-Man Classics at Amazing Spider-Man. Dot Libsyn dot com. To him, life is a great big hang up. Wherever there's a hang up, you'll find the Spider Man. Just who the hell are you? He's James T. Kirk. Don't you read history? What did you say your name was? Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the USS Enterprise. Which one of you is the captain? Do we violate the treaty, Captain? Red alert! All hands, battle station! What are you scratching at? Incorrect. Can we just get down to it, please? Prepare to attack. All hands, battle station. Monthly Mondays, available the second Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Hello, ladies. Listen to your man. Now listen to me. Now listen to your man. Now listen to me. Sadly, he isn't me. But if he stopped downloading lame-ass podcasts and switched to Two True Freaks, he could learn to sound like me. Look down. Back up. Where are you? You're on the Enterprise with a man your man could sound like. What's in your hand? Back at me. I have it. It's a long box filled with comics that you love. Look again. The comics are now episodes. Anything is possible when your man listens to two true freaks and not lame asses. I'm on a tauntaun. Hi. My name is Paul Spataro. Back in 2004, my family lost my older brother Michael to pancreatic cancer. Before Michael was diagnosed with this disease, I really didn't know too much about it. But the truth of the matter is, it's a devastating disease, and... In general, once somebody is diagnosed with it, it's too late to actually help them. I've learned that pancreatic cancer is the nation's fourth leading cause of cancer death and that the survival rate for the disease has not improved in 25 years. 
I also learned about the Lustgarden Foundation. That's a foundation that's named after a man named Mark Lustgarden. Mr. Lustgarden was a high-ranking executive in the company of Cablevision, and when he was diagnosed with the disease, despite the fact that he was a wealthy man, there was nothing that could be done, and unfortunately, he passed away from the disease as well. Moved by that loss, Cablevision has started a foundation in his honor, and they've generously underwritten all expenses of that foundation so that any fundraising efforts can be used strictly towards research of pancreatic cancer. I learned of the Lust Garden Foundation shortly after my brother passed away, and I started that year walking in its Long Island fundraiser walk, and I've walked every year since. This year the walk is going to be on July 25th. I will be walking along with my wife, my son, my daughter, my mother, my sister, and other family members. We walk as Team Spataro in an effort to raise funds, raise awareness, and to honor my brother. I hope you would consider donating to this worthwhile cause. There will be a link to our team page on this podcast's homepage. Please consider clicking on that link and donating. And keep in mind, no amount is too small. There will be people who donated very, very generously, but don't be swayed by that. Any amount will help and brings us that much closer to a cure. Nobody should have to suffer the way my brother did, and I hope that one day, through the efforts of the Lust Garden Foundation, all such suffering can be ended. I thank you for your consideration. Hey there, Thomas Madden's here, host of Thomas's Prerogative over at the Shaft Podcast. I'm here to announce the Shaft Podcast fun, exciting events that we're bringing to the Metrocon convention. What's Metrocon, you may ask? Well, Metrocon is the largest anime convention in Florida. And the Shaft Podcast is proud to bring four exciting panels that we will be bringing to Metrocon, hosted by yours truly. Now, what are these panels? Well, let me tell you. First, on Friday at 5 p.m. in Room 19, you have Evolution in American Anime, where I will explain to you how American animation had a hand in the creation of anime, and how anime now in turn has come and influenced American animation. The next panel will be later that night at Room 13 14 special event called Anime Theater Live. We'll take a movie riff on it. That's right. If you're a fan of Mystery Science Theater 3000 or Riff Tracks, this is the event for you because we will be riffing on a movie. And you know, I know what? If you see a good line that makes everybody laugh, we'll give you a prize. Be anything from an anime DVD to manga to many other prizes we'll have with us. Our next event will take the very next day on Saturday in room 18. It will be Thomas's prerogative live. Yes, I will be giving my unbiased opinion upon the state of the anime industry. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not going to be pretty. And then finally on Sunday, we will have another presentation, Anime and New Media. If you want to know where you can find your very favorite anime on the internet, or try to find where you can unite with fans on the internet as well, we'll tell you how to get there. So come down to Metricon from July 23rd to July 25th and join us in our four exciting panels that the Shaft Podcast presents. You can find Metricon by going to www.metroconventions.com and you can also find the Shaft Podcast by going to www.animeshaft.com. So, until July, folks, peace.